Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homie. I am your host. And once again, I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and listen and invest in yourself today here at the Business Creators Radio Show. As our listeners know, we have a from the field feeling to our podcast. Many of these episodes are filmed from my sumptuous studio, which happens to be my balcony of my Las Vegas apartment in the hottest city in America. And you'll hear in the background birds chirping, cars driving by. Today, I'm in another remote location, further continuing the from the field aspect of this. We are big believers in what's known as the laptop lifestyle. And you, as entrepreneurs and business creators, having that freedom to truly enjoy what it is that centers with your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Furthermore, as you listen in, you're going to experience yourself sitting in on a private mastermind conversation between two minds who will bounce ideas off of each other and come up with inspirations through storytelling and example that will inspire you to find that slight edge in your business. So make sure you have your pad of paper and two pens ready as we light this thing up. Today, today, I am extremely excited to have with us Mike Malatesta, who is the author of an awesome new book that I am really looking forward to reading tonight called Ownership, How Getting Selfish Got Me Unstuck. He's going to tell you a bit about that book. He's going to tell you about some of the lessons. And one of the things that attracts me to speaking with Mike today and sharing him with you is he has stories about overcoming workplace tragedy, which was the initial part of the conversation between he and I. You are going to make a number of discoveries that I believe are going to inspire you, that are going to move you through challenges, tragedies, and obstacles, and move you to a place where you serve your market from your intersection of your brilliance and passion and be that difference in the lives of your community, market, and audience. So let me just tell you a little bit about Mike before we bring him in. He started his first business in 1992. He's been, so he's with us for almost 30 years. He's going to tell you more about his journey in just a moment. He's the creator of what's known as the How Did Happen podcast, which is one I'm going to have to tune into myself. He's deep into his second startup and an active early stage investor. His mission is to help as many entrepreneurs as he can to create companies that improve people's lives and maybe the world. Hey, I'm down. And with that, Mike, come on in. The weather's fine. Adam, thank you so much for having me. I thought it was, uh, I thought it was so funny there because you said you were going to light this thing up. And I think you told me you're in a cigar bar. So <laughs> I love that. That was actually an unintended pun, but yeah. that just shows great minds think alike and you are a genius level. Oh, so, thank here, you. so here's what we, here's what we like to do, and most of this conversation is actually going to be about you because you have so many great things to share with us. I'm just going to kind of uh, point you in directions and let you take off. But before we do that, and I know you have some points you want us to cover and some stories that you want me to ask you about, which I'm going to do. Tell us a bit about your journey and what's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Sure. Well, <clears throat> my entrepreneurial career started when I was 26 years old, and it started kind of accidentally because, um, well, more than kind of accidentally, I suppose, because out of college, I had gotten a, a, a job with a big corporation as a management trainee. <clears throat> and um, I thought it was the greatest thing in the world. And I was, I was moving around and I was moving up. And, you know, in, in five years, I'd moved four times and I was a, a divisional vice president. Um, I think I was the youngest one in the company at the time. And and I just thought, wow, maybe someday, you know, I could be the CEO of this big corporation. And instead of that <clears throat> becoming the future for me, I got fired from that job instead. And that was a real shock. 
real shock to me. And I had no idea what I was going to do. So I did what most, I think most people at that time would have done. And that was, um, I looked for another job and I got another job right away, like within 30 days. And for this is for an entrepreneurial run company. And I thought this is so great because it's way different than what I was doing. It shows that I still have some value to people because I was feeling very crappy about myself at the time. And, and uh, I got in there and instead of working directly with the entrepreneur, I, I, I was put to work with um, what I guess you would describe as his second in command. And his name was Don and, and Don was not a very nice person to me. Um, there, you know, I call him Don the Dick in the in the book because he, he was just that kind of person. He was just um, uh, petty. Um, all the things that you don't want to be as a leader, I think Don Don was, and 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 I couldn't take it. And I only lasted there thirty days, and I quit. And I thought to myself, Wow! <clears throat> in the last two months, I've been like a two time loser. I get fired from a job I thought I was doing great at, and and then I can't hack it, you know, at a new job. Um, but it turns out that, you know, as as things in life sometimes do that you don't expect, it was really Don being the way he was that gave me the opportunity to become an entrepreneur. And I partnered with a fellow that I barely knew. Um, and we started a company six months after that, uh, that firing. And then and then my whole life has been, um, you know, that entrepreneurial journey ever since. So we bootstrapped a company then and, you know, grew it over 22 years and, and sold the business in 2015. And then a couple of years later, I started another one, similar waste management business. And, and in fact, we, we just sold that in at the end of August. So, so that was you know, about three years or so. And we had a very uh, fortunate and, and good outcome on that business as well. So professionally, that's sort of my, my journey as an entrepreneur. That's, that's fantastic. And also very inspirational. So um, tell us a little bit more about Don the Dick. I know you wanted me to uh, mention him. And what was that big favor he did for you? I mean, yeah, he was a dick, but what was the favor? Well, the, the big favor he did for me is, is, um, he he showed me that uh, I didn't have to be. He he made it clear to me that just because of the way I felt that I didn't have to be stuck in a situation where um, I wasn't happy. And yeah. you know, the final straw was I came into work one day and and he had emptied the file cabinets all over the floor. We were working out of an office, like a mobile trailer, you know, like a work trailer, construction trailer. And he, he just dumped everything on the floor and papers were kind of outside on the ground. They were all over the thing. And he told me I had to go pick them up. And I was like, okay. And I did it. And the whole time I was doing it, I was thinking, what are you doing? And so I brought them all in and I put them all on the desk and I I called the I called the I called the boss and I told him I couldn't work here anymore. So yeah. So the favor he did me was was being. I mean, the favor he did me was that he wasn't nice to me. <laughs> yeah. Sounds sounds weird, but if he was nice to me, I, I might still be working at that company. You know, who knows? You know what's really funny is, um, in addition to being the author of my own book, Groundhog Days: An Event, Not a Business Strategy. I was also a contributing author to an anthology that came out in 2016 called Journeys to Success, the Millennial Edition. My chapter was called Two Dates with Destiny. Here's the gist of my contribution. My first real job out of undergrad was working as a recruiter for a temporary staffing agency. And you've heard of bosses from hell, but oh my God, let me tell you. Hmm. Anyway, I lasted there exactly eight months and 16 days before I was asked to resign over some actual complete bullshit. So I had a few learning experiences there. But first, let me tell you what happened afterwards. Um, Thursday, April 27th, 2000, which was the day that uh, I lost that job. The very next day, I received an assignment from one of their competitors to start a temp assignment that would start the following Monday. 
And I ended up losing that assignment too. But here's the reason why. I was getting so many interviews from companies that wanted to consider hiring me that I could not reasonably fulfill the temp assignment. See, when you work temp, Mm. um, there is an expectation that they will give you reasonable flexibility to attend interviews for full-time positions because, you know, you're a temp. But it was getting to the point where I was having six interviews a week and I couldn't even fulfill the the, uh, purpose of the temp assignment. So we came to a mutual agreement that, yeah, it looks like my job search is doing a lot better than I expected. Um, I can't do this for this particular client. So if you want to replace me, I will accept that. And if you have something lighter for me, keep that in mind for me, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, that kind of leads to the three lessons that I got from this. Lesson number one is when you are interviewing for to work for a company that has been in business for 20 years, they say that they have 25 employees and they tell you that one of the perks of working there is that after you've been there for a full year, regardless of what your position is, they'll put your name on the front door. And the front door only has four names on it. And two of them happen to be the managing partners. The third one is this boss you're interviewing with. And the fourth is the secretary. Hmm. You might want to just say thanks anyway, but I'm going to go on my merry way. That's lesson number one. So do your research and don't jump into something uh, that already is showing signs that it has more red flags in Tiananmen Square on, red, on May Day simply because you want to break into an industry. There are other things you can do. Don't walk into an unmitigated disaster. Even if you know that you're there for the experience, you can jump into something better in a year. That's number one. Number two, the whole idea that if you get fired from a job, that your career is over, <laughs> nah. Number three, that if you leave a job without having another job lined up, that's a black mark that's, in a, that's going to uh, obliterate your salary progression, put you in a low salary trap, and possibly leave you undesirable to future employers as being unstable and unreliable, is also a bunch of bunk. Mm. So with those three things in mind, uh, now, I've already given this bad boss about as much credit as they're going to be. And I'm not giving them any credit for being a decent person because believe me, they went out of their way to earn not getting that from me. But the gift of the experience to me was, is that the stuff that they tell you is the case doesn't have to be the case if you don't let it be the case. And that's part of what resonates with your story when you tell me is that you found yourself on playing fields that may have been somewhat new to you. And you found yourself in a situation where you lost two jobs in a month. And look, here you are. Right. Yeah. Their story doesn't have to be your story. Right. 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 So, um, you know, you kind of jumped ahead a little bit with some of the talking points when you told your story. So there are actually a few things that I'd like to highlight from your story now uh, and maybe get into in a little bit of detail. So you and I'm going to kind of go a little bit random here because, again, we're just having a free flowing conversation. Uh, sure. tell me a little bit more. And I think you alluded to it, but I really want to put it into sharp relief. You know, you, you got this second job, it was an entrepreneurial venture and you thought, wow, this entrepreneur stuff is really cool. If it just wasn't for Don the dick. Now, yeah. what else about that drove you to start your own company and embrace yourself for the entrepreneurial path? Well, <clears throat> there were a couple of things. One was, um, this, this entrepreneur owned this company, Jim Jalovic. Uh, who I who I really liked and wanted to work wanted to work with and wanted to work for. Um, after I decided to quit, I looked back and I said, "Man, if Jim Jalovic can have this company and have this kind of dysfunction in it, I mean, how hard can it be?" You know, so that gave me some confidence. You know that he you know he he he'd done it and he and and I couldn't work in his system. So could I? design a better system than a better company. I thought, well, maybe, you know, and then the other thing that, that really was a game changer for me was my, the, the fellow who turned out to be my partner, his name was Butch Weiss. And, and, um, you know, I, <clears throat> I'll take you back. To, I mean, really what happened the way I, the, I like to think of it is I was an entrepreneur. I told you I was an entrepreneur. When I was 26. I think I was an entrepreneur when I was four years old, at least a seed an entrepreneurial seed was planted in me when I was four years old. And we lived across the street from a construction company and 
I would sit on the curb in the afternoons in the summer and I would watch these guys bring back their trucks and their equipment. And I just like everything about it was cool. The smoke and the smell and the, the dust and everything was cool. And so I, you know, I, I thought to myself, I think I thought to myself at the time, this would be like a perfect way for me for life, like a perfect like life for me. And I didn't know what an entrepreneur was. I didn't even know what a business was, yeah. but I knew what cool was. And when, when Don, um, when I quit, when I quit that job, this fellow named Butch Weiss, who I had worked with briefly at the job I'd been fired from, uh, but I didn't know very well. He, he reached out to me, Adam, and he said, uh, Hey, you know, I don't know what you're thinking about doing, but if you want to start a business, I would love to talk to you about that and be a part of it. And I was like, what, you know, this, why would this guy who I hardly know reach out to me and make and say something like that? And ultimately, so we had a couple of meetings and, and, you know, got it all off the ground, but Butch, uh, you know, his whole life had been about farming and he loved farming and his family had lost their farm, which is why he was working at the place where, where I was. And, you know, it kind of, when I think back on it now, what happened was Butch was that, you know, he was the one who had the 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 power, the skill set, the whatever to fertilize that entrepreneurial seed that was dormant inside of me from when I was four years old. And that little bit of nourishment, uh, nutrients, whatever he gave me, sprouted into confidence and courage, and and was the thing that really made us think, made me think that we can do this. Um, and that's, and that's what we did to get started. Yeah, that's fantastic. And, um, so you also mentioned this other character, uh, who's Billy and how does he get a chapter in your book? And I'll say the name of it for your viewers, ownership, yeah. how ownership, how getting selfish got me unstuck, which we're going to come back to that theme in a few minutes. So I'm really curious about that title. Yeah. I'm glad you brought Billy up. Billy Spang is, is his name. And I actually met Billy when I was working for Don. And Billy was one of those people who had been working in that company for a while and had just been sort of trapped in the Donism. Like he didn't know how to get out of it. And he was just doing the job and not liking it very much. So a couple of years after I started, uh, after Butch and I started the company, Adam, we had an ad for a driver and and Billy answered the ad and I hadn't seen him since I only knew him for 30, 30 days to begin with. And yeah. I hadn't seen him uh, for a couple of years at this point. Um, but he came to me and, and he, I knew he was a hard worker from the 30 days that I had with him. Um, but I also, uh, he, he was just, he's had it. He said, I just want to go. I just want to be on the road. I just want to drive. I just want to, you know, do my job and not have to deal with, that guy and all the other stuff. And I was like, great, you know, so we hired him and Billy was a, was a, was a really good employee. He was, he was a, he was kind of like a, like a, a, a cartoon character a little bit. Cause he was a, he was a, you know, he was a small guy and he had very wispy hair and he had, you know, his pants were, he was very thin and his, like, it was one of those guys that no matter how tight his belt was, his pants were still kind of very loose and, he was just a, and and but he didn't take crap from anybody. I mean, you 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 got in his face, he got back in yours. But but yeah. but he did a great job. Um, and he was he was, I don't know, he was like a little like a little special part of us. And and one morning I got a a number uh, called to my pager, which. Uh, you know, people don't know what pagers are anymore, but there's, you know, yeah, you, uh, yeah, you just stated yourself, my friend, but yeah, I had yeah, a pager. only doctors use pagers now yeah. right? so, uh, for whatever reason, but it was a number I didn't recognize. I knew it was a, a, a number from Chicago from the, you know, the area code, but um, so I called the number back and it was a, a, a fire uh, captain. I think he was. And, uh -huh. and he told me that there'd been an accident and one of our trucks was, on its side on the, on the freeway. And, you know, he started barking all these questions at me, wanting answers about what was in it and 
all this other stuff. And I was like, what, you know, it really, you know, caught me off guard, but, um, but, you know, ultimately that, I guess the, the, the story is that Billy flipped his truck over um, and he skidded, you know, down the highway and the, the front part of the truck, the tractor came apart and it, it rolled and, and, you know, went up this fence and into the railroad tracks there in the center of this freeway. And, um, and the next day, Billy, <clears throat> Billy passed away. And I, you know, I was 27 or 28 when that happened. And I was like, you know, this is not, I had no idea what to do. I was very scared. I, it wasn't, you know, what you sign up for as an entrepreneur. You never think about something like that happening. And I, of course, I felt responsible. I mean, I met his wife for the first time in the emergency room at the hospital. Like, what a horrible place to meet somebody for the first time. And, um, and, and, you know, going to his funeral and seeing his, his daughter and, you know, all these, it was just a, it was, it was a heavy thing for me to, 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 deal with um it would be a heavy thing for anybody to deal with i i I'm, i suppose but it was a heavy thing for me to deal with and i i use it as just one example of um you know a terrible example but one example of you know how the the there's a lot more to being an entrepreneur than just you know making a sale or or getting some funding or having a great idea or whatever um there's a lot of things that weigh that happen that weigh on you in a way that you never anticipate. And you have to figure out how to move beyond. And it's not an easy thing to do. All right. This kind of leads where I wanted to go next is, um, you know, what happens with you when shit hits the fan? Well, uh, my, I, I guess, I guess I would say that I, compared to most people that I know or have been around am uh, very, very calm and measured on the outside, no matter what's going on on the inside. Um, I think, and I don't know why that is, but I'm glad it is because I think that's much more helpful for the people around you than, uh, you know, freaking out, I guess. And I can be freaking out on the inside, but I won't be freaking out on the, on the outside, but that doesn't mean I'm, I'm not having the same emotional and physical reaction that someone who's freaking out externally is having. I, I am having that. I just, you know, over time I've learned that if people who respond that way, who react uh, or overreact aren't doing their teams or the people around them any favors. Um, everybody already knows the situation's bad, <laughs> right? Like yeah. In this case, so they really don't need that reinforced. What they need reinforced is that there's a future that's going to be better. That this will be, we'll get through this, um, even if we don't know how. Um, we will, we will get, you know, we will get through it. So that's that's. I don't know if I'm born with that or if it's been been cultivated. It's. It certainly wasn't cultivated at the time that Billy, uh, you know, that, that, that Billy had his accident. So, um, but it served me, I think it served me very, very well over the years. Right, right. So here's, um, I'm curious about a couple other things about your experience. But first, let me say that, you know, what's really helped me when you have those uh, SHTF moments in business and life is once you go through several of them and you come through them. To me, there's just really no substitute for the experience of dealing with it, which is why in my book, I say, uh, I say, fail fast, fail often. Mm-hmm. The sooner you, it's going to happen and the sooner you get through it, the faster you get the, the knowledge, the experience and the power that you gain from it that will help you move forward. There are things that I remember 10 years ago, no, 15 years ago. My first venture was a web development firm when I became a full-time entrepreneur. And man, I used to, boy, if anything ever went wrong with any of the client's websites or anything, it would just stop my world. It interrupted my vacations. It ruined my weekends, all kinds of stuff. 
And um, I just didn't have the intestinal or testicular fortitude at the time to tell certain people to take a chill that things were going to have to be fixed. Now, if I were in that situation in 2021 and I have websites of my own and every so often something goes wrong and it's broke, you know what I need? I just need an ETA. That's it. Just tell me when you think it's going to be fixed. Uh, And in the meantime, let me know what you need for me to facilitate that because I've been through it so many times. I know it happens. And you just yeah. got to be ready to roll with it. You got to know what your plan B is. So your website's down. All right. So does that mean your business just stopped running? No. What are your other forms of communication? What are your other ways of getting the word out? What are your other ways of serving your customers and reaching your prospects in the meantime? Can you take the fact that your website is down and turn it into an engagement opportunity? These are some of the things that you gain that resilience to discover. So mm-hmm. to me, that's, that was part of my process of finding my fuel. So in your experience, how can entrepreneurs find their fuel? Well, I think, um, I mean, one of the biggest ways to find your fuel I've learned is to know what your future is, right? right? To, if you know what your future is and you know what you're marching toward and you know that it's not going to be um, always going to be a straight path or, or a straight climb up, um, then it's harder, it's harder to get off track because you know where you're going. If you don't know where you're going and, and something bad happens, it can really just dominate your thinking. Um, and you become paralyzed instead of doing what you, like what you did, where you, you evolve and you accept and you realize that I can't see everything that's going to get in the way of my journey here, but something's going to. And when it comes, um, it's a good thing I know where I'm going because then it won't, you know, get me off track. It's just another thing on the way, on the road to where I'm going. You know, it's real simple. God draws straight with crooked lines. Yeah, right. The fa- the faster you embrace that, the more, the faster you're going to get on your journey. Now, in your experience, why do entrepreneurs become their own worst enemies? Well, because they design systems that are perfectly uh, suited to put them exactly where they are, and then they hate where they are. Right. Um, so, and then they don't, and then they don't accept responsibility for it, and and then they stay stuck. And they want to blame somebody, or they want someone to come along and fix it for them. Oh and yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Give me a for instance here, because I got stories about this one. Well, um, yeah, I'll give you, a, I'll give you a, a, for instance, from my, from my world. So, um, you know, I talked about Billy, but, um, but what really got me, uh, in, in a place where I call it the Valley of uncertainty, <clears throat> it's, a, it's a nasty place that you drop off into when things are just have, have gone beyond where you're able to, to, to handle them and you don't know what to do was when my partner, the one who, the, the farmer, Butch, who, who gave me the confidence and gave me the nutrients and whatever to get me started, passed away in a fire at one of our plants. Um, he was burned very badly. And three days later he died. And, you know, so I talked about the Billy incident, which happened you know, several years before. And then this incident, and I'm like, and this is, you know, of course, we had our share of successes along the way. But there's just two, you know, pretty big, pretty big uh, problems. And by that time, I had already been feeling the grind of the business. You know, I was treating the business like it was a startup, Adam, and it was 10 years old and 10 million in revenue and, you know, 50 or 60 employees. But I had designed it. I had designed it at the beginning in what I call the dream stage to to run the way I wanted it to run. And I never changed that for that whole time. And so these, um, everything that was going on in the business that not everything, but a lot of things that were going on in the business that used to energize me and used to get me really excited were now frustrating me and pissing me off. And then, you know, my, my, my partner, best friend, and the person who complimented me the most, uh, and was very significant to our business is gone. And, you know, I'm looking at it and I'm saying, this is all my fault, right? Well, I don't really want to think of it. It's my fault though. I want somebody else to blame, you know? So, um, so when I say own worst enemy, I was my own worst enemy during that period where I was in the Valley because I was, 
I was looking for a way to make it okay, but I wasn't accepting. And I, I, I was even saying I was responsible for it, but I wasn't accepting responsibility for it. So in other words, I was, I was just lost and I wasn't willing to be found. Um, right. And, and, and that's what I think gets a lot of us stuck and, and can keep you stuck or can, or worse, it can, it can have you, you know, thinking about retreating or expiring or quitting or getting smaller or, you know, all the things that an entrepreneur should not be thinking about. Yeah. All right. So here are a couple of um, things. And the first one, I'm going to zero down to a specific. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm going to change some of the names and titles to protect the awesome, if that makes sense. So companies will go into places they go beyond being solar prevent solopreneurial they become leveraged they have teams and they're getting a lot of clients and things are really getting moving so at this point it moves beyond somebody's notebook or somebody uh keeping a draft in their gmail with all their notes on it and they need things like you know project management systems to coordinate the work between asynchronous and diverse team members this is actually one of my areas of expertise in my business consulting okay and so the question becomes what project management software to use. All right, you've got Teamwork, you've got Monday, you've got Robohead, you've got Reiki, you've got uh, you've got uh, Hive, uh, you've got Captera, not Captera, but there are so many, oh, Asana is another one, Trello, Jira, ClickUp, Airtable. I mean, there are just so many of them out there. And, it, and you can approach this one of two ways. You can have endless focus groups and meetings and do analyses and have 20 different conversations with the sales reps for each one of them. That's option A, and that pretty much guarantees that you'll just be talking about project management software to your blue in the face. Mm-hmm. Or you identify what your essential goals for that software are. What are the things that it must do in order to move the business from where it is right now to where it needs to be three steps down the road? What is going to fit best with the culture we have right now? What's going to adapt best for the people we have right now? Pick the one that meets the essentials of those, knowing that nothing's going to be a perfect fit unless you pay a developer $100,000 to build you something proprietary that will probably cost you that much to maintain every year. Find the one that is easy to use for you and your team. Find the one that you're going to enjoy using. It has to be fun or you're not going to do it. It has to be fun. And when you put all that together, you've picked the right one. No matter who comes along, like you say, hey, you know what? We just integrated with Teamwork and it's awesome. And they said, why? Teamwork? Those people suck. Why aren't you using Trello? No, forget that. Forget mm-hmm. that. And, and um, you know, Teamwork and Trello are both great. I'm familiar with both of them. So I'm not picking on one or the other. The point is you found something that met your essential needs for you and your team. It's easy to use. It meets your essential goals. And it's fun. Because again, it has to be fun and enjoyable or you're not going to do it. It's that simple. Human nature trumps expectations and ideals every time. And then if a couple hundred yards down the road, turns out that you've outgrown that system or your business has evolved or another one actually meets your essential needs better, you know what you do? You make another decision. And the decision you made before was uh, right at the time. And now you're making a new right decision. You adopt that mindset, you can actually make decisions a lot faster, uh, which to me is very, very important in terms of moving you forward. Now, another way that I see entrepreneurs become their worst enemies is in dismissing or downgrading the power of coaching. Mm-hmm. So many entrepreneurs, and you and me may actually include ourselves in this category in certain respects, depending on what our expertise, our brilliance, and our passion are. We may feel, oh, we know everything about this, or we know enough that we need. We don't really need a coach to help us with us. Here's the thing about coaching, and this is why my own business coaches are so valuable to me. I mean, I have I have, a, I have two business coaches. I belong to uh, several business uh, you know, coaching communities, masterminds. I even have a dating coach for crying out loud in addition to a personal stylist. I mean, I, I invest in this stuff. So Good for you. Yeah. So what I've discovered is in all these cases and why they matter to me, 
is if somebody were coming to me asking for coaching in any of these areas, I would be able to give them great advice they could follow and would probably yield success results for them for their situation based on my experience. However, I can't do that for myself. And the reason is very simple. I'm in the tunnel. Choo, 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 coming through the tunnel on the train. Mm-hmm. And the light at the end of the tunnel is that little pinprick way at the end. But otherwise, I'm in darkness. A coach is on the outside in the sunlight looking in. Not only are they in the light and can see, but they can look into that tunnel and they can see the train approaching with you on it. So especially if you believe you know what you're doing, work with a coach because they will make you better at what you do. Candidly, some of the stuff I go to with my own coaches are, uh, they give me some of the same guidance, some of the same advice, some of the same recommendations that I would give somebody else if they were coaching them. The difference is I cannot see it for myself because I'm in the darkness. That's right. And And when entrepreneurs embrace that, to a certain degree, I believe they stop being their own worst enemy because their own worst enemy may not be necessarily themselves, but their own blindness because can, unless you're looking in a mirror, can you see yourself? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, uh, so now that we've uh, you know, discussed this difference between inside and outside the tunnel, I think this leads to the next point is how can entrepreneurs evaluate their business objectively? And that's hard to do when it's your baby, but how do you do it? Well, uh, for a long time, I didn't. I, I was the objectivity, right? Yeah. And, and just what you were talking about there, you know, that's entrepreneurs, even, you know, before they have coaches, they have all the answers. They just aren't asking themselves the right questions. Um, and no one, at least for me, what I figured was inside of the company generally, you don't have people who are questioning your decisions, not to your face, right? They're not, yeah. they're, they're, they're saying, okay, yes, you're right. You know, or they're saying, I don't really agree with this, but this is the direction Adam wants to go. So I'm not going to like raise my hand and tell him that, you know, he's headed towards a cliff or anything. Yeah. Um, so for a long time, I, I, I was my own um, uh, decider of, you know, the objectivity about the business. And that was a, that was a, uh, I think a big mistake for, for me. And now, um, you know, that's one of the things that helped me get out of the Valley, Adam, was actually to get some, some coaching. I started with a program called the strategic coach, which is a really high level entrepreneurial uh, coaching program, workshop program, um, that had, was, was really game changing for me. And, you know, help me start to get my head around uh, how to look at my business and that like what I was talking about earlier, what, what I really wanted, what did I want my future to be? Um, and then I've sort of just kept that up with um, because now I look at coaching the same way as look as any training or any investing that I do or anything else. It's a school that I designed to teach me the things that I need to learn. So it's not a school that someone else designed for me. Now it's a school I'm designing for myself. So I think it's, I think it's exceptionally important. And when you said that your coach would tell you sometimes the same thing that you would tell somebody else, I've had that happen <laughs> Yeah, know, so many times. We're like, gosh, you know, I can see so clearly. And like you said, I can see so clearly into someone else's situation, but I can't always see clearly into mine because um, yeah. I'm not asking myself the right questions. Right, right, right. So you um, also, and before I get into the title of your book, which I'm really curious about why you called it, gave it the name that you gave it, uh, you know, you've mentioned earlier in this conversation that you exited a business. So how'd you know when it was time? I think there are so many people who don't know when it's time to jump. Hmm. Well, um, so I've exited two businesses so far. Yeah. The first one. I mean, what ended up making the decision was a company um, came along and expressed interest in, in our in our company. And uh, my immediate reaction was, I'm not interested. I had <clears throat> two years earlier, I had bought out my remaining partners, and I was, you know, the uh, essentially the hundred percent owner of the business. And I 
which was a goal of mine for many, many, many years. Um, and this company came along and as I said, I wasn't interested, but then I started to think about it a little bit more because there were a couple of things going on. One was that the buyout of my partners really restricted the, the, uh, the, the cash flow of the company because we had to borrow money to, to, to facilitate the buyout. And then we also had a note. So we were putting a lot of our free cash flow to paying, um, paying off the partners. So we weren't able to make acquisitions. We weren't able to do some of the things that really excited, excited me about the business. And the other thing was that we, you know, the, the, the we, we were, we were in a position for the first time in a long time where we didn't have any really big problems. Um, you know, no regulatory problems, no lawsuit problems, no, you know, employee issue problems, no, no big problems. And um, when I got the offer, uh, I, I thought to myself, well, I, you know, I'm going to pay a, pay a little attention to that. And, uh, you know, taking those two things into consideration and taking um, the offer into consideration and what it would mean for my, my, uh, my family and what it would mean for our team, because there'd be a lot more opportunity, I thought, for the team uh, with this new owner, then um, that's what that's what ultimately what ended up making the decision very clear for me. Yeah. And what I meant by sometimes entrepreneurs over there say they're welcome is two things. Uh, the fact is, and I remember this um, after I graduated from MBA school almost 20 years ago, uh, when I, was in MBA, when I was in MBA school, I worked in uh, community relations and training for a company that uh, managed behavioral health care services under state contracts. And then after a while, I was diagonally promoted into a different department. And I, my total stay there was about four years. So anyway, I finished the MBA and I'm doing a job search thing. I've told the story many times on this podcast about how I ended up getting job offers, but turned them all down because I ended up doing some side hustle work, working with training and development consulting firms. I ended up making a, a business out of it. Well, anyway, somebody said something to me in the midst of that search. This is a guy I knew from a cigar shop, actually. And he's in the just, you know, we were just chatting about my prospects and everything. He said, hey, by the way, how long have you worked at that company? And I said, no, I've been there for almost four years. Like, dude, you got to get out of there. I'm thinking, what? It's like, yeah, somebody sees sees what you're doing and they see you've been sitting you've been working for that company for four years. They're gonna start asking questions like, what the hell are you doing just sitting there? Are you dynamic? Are you actually in your industry or are you just a time server? Mm. And that struck me because again, going back to the earlier theme I shared of what they say and the tropes that are imposed upon us about how we have to play by certain rules or we're going to lose the game automatically. That got me thinking because I was, you know, this was 2003 and I was still in that mindset of, yeah, you find a company, you stay loyal to them, you put up with the BS and eventually you get your gold watch in your shack in Fort Lauderdale. But by then we, we had already evolved upon that where people where employees will look at you and they'd say, Oh, you've worked at the same company for 20 years. What are you a what are you a screw that just sits inside the the socket, or are you uh, are you somebody who's got something on the move? If you have a 20 year career, they want to see you've worked for five or six different companies because they want to see that you are networked in the industry, that you've you've worked in a variety of situations, and you and that you have a broad range of experience from multifaceted sources that will be of more value to them when they hire you. And that made sense. Now, fast forward to 2021, and this part is for the job seekers and the corporate ladder hustlers who tune into my show, is that in this day and age, even as a career person, even as somebody who works for a company, who's, who does the corporate hustle, your career is your own marketing campaign. That's why, that's why we say that having your own published professional book on Amazon or something like that is the new business card. And hosting your own podcast is the new cover letter. Mm. That's just that's just how it is. So yeah, all these things that 20 years ago an employer might have looked at you and said, Oh, you're writing books, you're doing podcasts. What are you planning to leave us? Actually, if you're working for a company that's progressive in the sense that they're going to 
really give you a good career path, they're going to say, huh, this person's got something on the move here. Is this somebody who we might want to promote? Or a competitor might say, ah, okay, so they're working for our competitor over there. And I see they've got this book out uh, so I can see what's on their mind. I see they've got this podcast and they're sharing some insights about the industry. Looks like they're really plugged in. We should probably send our headhunters to poach them. So these are just some of the adaptations that we've seen over the years, which I think are very positive ones that break through that whole thing of getting stuck in one place for the rest of your life. I would take it that way. So reeling this back to entrepreneurs, it's my recommendation, even if you stay in substantially the same business, you should rebrand every three years, which means change the company's name, change the website, and uh, shift the message a little bit. Even if you're doing substantially the same thing and you're keeping all the same clients and you're rendering all the sa- most or most of the same services, simply because it puts a fresh face in what you're doing and it creates new launch energy that attracts new prospects and re-energizes your relationships with your existing prospects, customers, and allies. And when entrepreneurs don't do that, when they try and hold on to the same thing for 20 years, you can tell which ones they are because they're the ones whose websites still aren't mobile responsive. Mm -hmm. Then you become yesterday's news. That's an interesting take. That's for sure. Yeah. Think of it. Think of it this way. When we think of social media and you and I have been around, you remember when MySpace was a big thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. So before there was Facebook, before there was LinkedIn, well, LinkedIn was already there. Uh, Before there was Instagram, before there was Twitter, all the rage was how to use MySpace for business. And I did it successfully. Then Facebook came along and then Twitter and Instagram and all that. And then uh, all these others, TikTok, Pinterest, name it. But MySpace was for a hot minute, the apex and nucleus of business social media. And then what happened to MySpace? It disappeared, right? Mm -hmm. Wrong. MySpace is alive and well and actually doing extremely well. They repositioned. They changed their website. They changed their look. They changed their avatars. If you are in the music industry and you're not on MySpace, you're not in the music industry. Because that's a big piece of where they went. MySpace Tom, MySpace Tom sold MySpace for I think it was something like sixty-eight million dollars, which is why he gets to, which is why he gets to live his best life these days, and even use that same profile picture from twenty years ago. But uh, yeah, MySpace is still there. It's just a matter that they actually are a company that is dynamic and is willing to reinvent and rebrand. The reason we don't hear about them in the entrepreneurial space that much anymore is simply because they made the strategic decision to leave us. They saw other players that were functioning more effectively, so they found found a niche they can dominate. When you Mm. are in the music industry, the first thing you think of Facebook? No, it's not. You You might think of Facebook far enough as how to make announcements about your shows to uh, your fans so they buy tickets. That's about it. It's one of, it's one of several. Oh, I'm glad you, I'm glad you went through that. Cause I didn't, I would, did not know that about MySpace. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's still alive and kicking. We just don't hmm. think about it because they're in a different place now. Yeah. So, right. so that, so those are my examples of knowing when it's time to exit, knowing when it's time to pivot, knowing when it's time to rebrand, knowing when it's time to hit that reset button. And that's how you gain longevity and excitement for what you do. So we have about five minutes left here. And I did say that I wanted to get into because I'm so intrigued by this. The title of your book, Ownership, How Getting Mm -hmm. Selfish Got Me Unstuck. For reasons that that readers of my own book will fully understand, that hits me where I live. Tell me about that title. Well, um, I'll start with the shift. So I, I do believe that one of the keys to being a successful entrepreneur over the long term is is having a willingness to shift and sometimes or or an ability to shift whether you're willing or not because sometimes shifts are voluntary and sometimes um, they're not and it's a very you know it's very common now for popular now to to, to use the word yep. pivot <clears throat> you know we pivoted this we pivoted here we pivoted there but i i don't think that's what most people do i think you shift you know you you move right. 
uh, See right there. <laughs> you know, in a different direction um, because yeah. that's makes sense at that time instead of, you know, starting over or something. Um, but the selfish part really is, you know, I think there are a lot of entrepreneurs who, who, who have been taught, trained, or believe that being selfless is the way that you're successful. And they don't, I, and, and I think it ultimately it is, but um, it's also can become a real excuse or a barrier or an impediment to um, creating the biggest and best business that you can create. Because when you're selfless all the time, you're putting everybody else first, or you're putting yourself in a position where you can be the hero, everything runs through you, you know, you, you, uh, <clears throat> you get caught up in that and you ignore the job that you really have to do sort of like what you were talking about, you know, what's the future? What's, what's the property that I want to own, make mine, you know, what's the business going to look like? What's the, where do we have to change in terms of branding? How do we have to position? What do I want? And until you can figure all of those things out, um, you, I think you're going to have trouble making continuous breakthroughs in your business. And you're going to have trouble uh, becoming as big as your capabilities uh, might be. And, and you're going to uh, likely get stuck more frequently and for longer than, than, than you need to. Um, so selfish, getting selfish was really important to me because it gave me the, it gave me the freedom and the opportunity to start thinking about me and what I wanted, which I hadn't thought about since, you know, the original, the initial sort of dream phase of the business, Adam. And, um, and, and once I could, once I, once I gave myself that permission, I could really start to think about, okay, here's what I want. Here's what it looks like here. I can practically feel it, even though I'm imagining it, I can practically feel it. And then once I had that, I actually have a much more compelling story to share with my team. I have a much more exciting path uh, ahead than I had had. I have a future that's bigger than my past or bigger than my present. I know that I can design something to get to where I own that future. And so that's where, that's how, just how important I think it is. And when I use the term selfish, it's it's, I know that's got a horrible connotation to it. And I don't mean being a prick and I don't mean being like Don and I don't mean any of those things. I mean, is putting yourself first so that you can then put others, you know, then put in a position to help you get what you want, which is what most people want to do. They want to help you get what you want, but if they don't know what it is, um, they're going to give you what they think you want. And if that ain't what you want, that's not going to make you happy. So, Mike, uh, you remember that movie, Wall Street? Yeah, with... Uh, uh, Mike, yeah, Michael Douglas starred in it. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and Charlie and Sheen. Sheen. And, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, mm -hmm. uh, okay, so you remember that scene where the Michael Douglas character, Gordon Gecko, gave that speech at the shareholders meeting? You remember, remember when he said, greed is good? Yes, greed is good. Yeah, he didn't say that. He didn't. Didn't say greed is good, but everybody thinks he said greed is good. Exactly. See, yeah. see if you look at, if you look at the promos they made for the movie, and if you even look at some of the clips you see online, and some of the stories they tell about it, it's edited, and mm. it was the, and it's done so for dramatic effect. He did not say greed is good. He said greed, for lack of a better word, is good. I'll read that mm. portion of the speech for you right now. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, the greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies, cuts through, and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed in all of its forms, greed for life, for money, for love, knowledge, has marked the upward surge of mankind. And greed, you mark my words, will not only save Teldar paper, but that other malfunctioning corporation called the USA. Hmm. When we were kids in school, whether it was me that did it or you that did it or one of our classmates that did it, did you ever have the phenomenon where somebody brought in a piece of candy and the teacher caught them and they were told the next day they had to bring candy for everybody in the class? Yes. That was because they were teaching that student and it could have been, actually I did do that once and I did have to bring a bag of candy and maybe same for you or somebody you knew. The idea was to teach us not to be greedy. 
because greed has a negative connotation. But when you say greed for lack of a better word is good, you're actually not saying that greed is good. You're saying greed is something. And you're just looking for a way to define it as a way of opening the conversation. Right. When you go through some of those other points, the evolutionary spirit, it cuts through all the nonsense. It, it, it energizes people. It gets them to pursue their goals, money, love, knowledge, life, the upward surge of mankind. Uh, you see that so many things have been done that were altruistic and fundamentally changed the world in a positive way, but they were done by people who um, acted from places of avarice and evil and self-interest. Hmm. Is well, that maybe, bad? Maybe yeah, he but, should have said selfishness rather than greed is oh, good. I, I like greed. I like greed. But yeah, but the, but the point being is think of it this way. Um, you, do, you, you, you do really good. You gain a trophy, an award, the plaudits, and you decide that you want to donate $250,000 to a foundation. And that $250,000 is going to send 500 privileged youths to college. So yeah, your ego got satisfied. You got the humanitarian of the year award. Uh, you got the press release. You got your picture in the paper. But did 500 privileged kids still get a college education they otherwise would have missed out on? Mm. Okay. And then after you donate that $250,000, that changed your income profile so much that it dropped you into a lower tax bracket and you saved on taxes. So you benefited financially. So somewhere along the line, the, those five kids, did they go to college? The motivations for donating that money in so many ways could be selfish or greedy, but do they, do, they, they still cause good. Right. Positive impact. Yep. That's, that's how I, that's how I view it. That's, um, and when you make that, and when you make that thing uh, in your title about how getting selfish got you unstuck, that's why it resonates with me because you serve so much more effectively and can do so much more for the world when it's coming from an overflowing cup than when you're giving your last dime. Translate that to your brilliance and your passion. You are so much more an effective entrepreneur who can change lives, change industries, change the world when you are doing it from a place where you have energy, where you're, where you're enthusiastic, where you're brilliant and passionate, and you can give, 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 versus when you're struggling to keep your own self afloat. Hmm. So to yeah. me, so to me, um, if getting selfish is what makes that change, I will wear that badge with pride. I'll even have it gold. I'll have it even gold plated. Hmm. As do I. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. So let's wrap up here. I've really enjoyed our conversation. I'm sure our listeners have as well. And we're going to be getting some great feedback on this one. Uh, you know, your, your book, I'm going to say the title one more time so people can look it up and claim their own copy. It's called Ownership, How Getting, um, How Getting Selfish Got Me Unstuck. The um, author is Mike Malatesta. I'll spell his last name for our listeners. It's M-A-L-A-T-E-S-T-A. -A -A. Look that up. I'm looking forward to reading it myself. Tune into Mike's podcast, uh, which is called How Did It Happen? It's available on Apple and several other syndication networks. So check it out and find it for yourself. And finally, Mike, for anybody who finds themselves inspired by their message or curious to discover more about how they may be able to align with you, uh, how do they get a hold of you and what do they have to look forward to when they do? Yeah, well, the best way to, to find out all about me and to get a hold of me is at the website, the which is my name, uh -huh. uh, Mike, Mike Malatesta. You spelled the name M-A-L-A-T-E-S-T-A.com. You can find out uh, about my podcast, my book, all the other things I'm doing. The um, uh, And you can connect with me there. You can email me. And, and um, you know, if you want uh, my assistance with your entrepreneurial journey, I'm happy to um, to talk to you about that. If you want to chat with me about anything else, just let me know. Absolutely. All right. So Mike Melatesta, thank you so much for being with us today. I'll say your website one more time. It's simply your name, MikeMelatesta.com. It's been an honor and believe me in education. Thank you, Adam. It's been great to be on your show. I appreciate it. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.